Good morning again, and we're coming to the last two verses of the epistle from Jude. I want to recap a little bit on what we said last week, and you'll see about that in a moment. Beautiful sunny day here again, and God is giving us some wonderful weather. And so we'll just read from verse 20 to the end of the epistle. Reading in the authorised version. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Saviour be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. The lovely doxology at the end there, verses 24 and 25. He who is able to keep you from falling. And if we follow God closely and our Lord Jesus Christ as our guide, we shouldn't fall because he is able to keep us from falling. And it's a thought. We'll look at those uh, later. Last week we looked at verses 20 and 21. And we saw the situation some people face in churches today. And what it was like in Jude's time. And he was warning us as to what to expect in our time. One point which we perhaps should have emphasised last week were the words at the start of verse 22. And of some have compassion, making a difference. How easy, perhaps, to treat all problems within our churches as the same. How easy not to show compassion, mingled with genuine love where it is needed. And we need to be walking in close fellowship with our blessed Lord and Saviour. I've been thinking about making a difference. In the 15th chapter of Jeremiah, I want to just look at a few uh, points that I read about during the week and it came from a very old magazine from 1882. Jeremiah chapter 15. 
You know, Jeremiah had a, a very tough time. And he felt things very deeply. In the 15th chapter, he was to separate from the assembly of the mockers. When Jehovah sent him to take forth the precious from the vile. He was to separate the precious from the vile. And so, in Jude's epistle, there must be a state of spiritual vigor and communion before we attempt to help others, such as Jeremiah sought to do. We all need spiritual discernment so as to be able to pluck out of the fire some who are in it or who are in danger of slipping further into the fire. And we ourselves must fear, lest in accomplishing this difficult work, one's own garment is stained. How often we hear of someone drowning. We read the papers. Somebody has drowned. And somebody has gone to help. And we then hear that he is the fact is the one who is eventually the victim. And so we need to tread carefully in God's will if we are to be able to help these victims who are in danger of being burned in the fire. It is a wonderful and blessed service to be carried out in the middle of all the corruption. We need to be very careful and seeking to maintain a strong spiritual state. And to be ever conscious of God's infinite love to us. Always having a sense of the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what is needed by each one of us every day of our lives. That we will consciously remember God's love to us. And the sense of mercy we should have when treating and dealing with others. I wanted to just briefly look at poor old Jeremiah and the situation he found himself in, in chapter 15. But we'll go back a minute just to look at chapter 14. The situation in Judah was, was very serious. Israel had sinned. And God was very angry. And so at the start of 14 we read the various things that was taking place. There was a famine and a drought. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the dearth. Judah mourneth, and the gates thereof languish. They are black 
onto the ground. And the cry of Jerusalem is gone up. It explains what happened. Their nobles have sent their little ones to the water. They came to the pits and found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads. Because the ground is chapped. That's an old-fashioned word there that, you know, when your hands are all chapped. Well, the ground looked like that, all open. No rain in the earth. The plowmen were ashamed. They covered their heads. Yea, the hind also calved in the field and forsook it because there was no grass. The wild asses did stand in the high places. They snuffed up the wind like dragons. Their eyes did fail because there was no grass. And Jeremiah then prayed, O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do thou it for thy name's sake. For our backslidings are many, we have sinned against thee. O hope of Israel, the Saviour thereof in time of trouble, why shouldest thou be as a stranger in the land? and as a wayfaring man that turneth aside to tarry for a night. Why shouldest thou be as a man astonished, as a mighty man that cannot save? Yet thou, O Lord, art in the midst of us, and we are called by thy name, leave us not. And then we have these remarkable words, from the Lord. Verse 10 Thus saith the Lord unto this people Thus have they loved to wander They have not refrained their feet Therefore the Lord doth not accept them He will now remember their iniquities and visit their sins. Then said the Lord unto me, Pray not for this people for their good. God was telling Jeremiah not to pray for these people because they had been given every opportunity to turn to him, but had failed miserably. And then we look at chapter 15, a couple of verses at the start. Verse 1. Then said the Lord unto me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people. Cast them out of my sight, and let them go forth. God had said, don't pray for these people. But Jeremiah had again interceded on their behalf and then God spoke. He said, listen, even if Moses came, or Samuel even, I still would not forgive these people. Don't pray for them. But you know, 
at the end of chapter 15, poor old Jeremiah seemed to be in the middle of this whole problem. And verse 10, actually, in chapter 15, he says, Woe is me, my mother, that thou hast borne me a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth. He was being attacked on every side. I have neither lent on usury, nor men have lent to me on usury, yet every one of them doth curse me. He didn't do things that should have annoyed these people, and he didn't do things which might have helped, but everyone was against him. And then God spoke and said in verse 11, Verily it shall be well with thy remnant. Verily I will cause the enemy to entreat thee well in the time of evil and in the time of affliction. So God was saying to Jeremiah, I will be with you. I will ensure that you are kept safe. And then, finally, in verse 19 of chapter 15, God's instructions to Jeremiah and you know, I think we can get encouragement from these words. Therefore thus saith the Lord, If thou return, then I will bring thee again, and thou shalt stand before me. And if thou take forth the precious from the vile, thou shalt be as my mouth, you shall be my spokesman again. Let them return unto thee, but return not thou unto them. And I will make thee unto this people a fenced brazen wall, and they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee to save thee and to deliver thee saith the Lord, and I will deliver thee out of the hand of the wicked, and I re will redeem thee out of the hand of the terrible. What a wonderful prayer. What a wonderful message that God gave Jeremiah. I will deliver thee out of the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem thee out of the hand of the terrible. We're reminded of a verse we're talking about here at home. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. That's a good verse. For each one of us. How often when troubles come. When difficulties arise. We don't put our faith and trust. Completely in the Lord. We lean against. Our own understanding. Trust in the Lord. With all. Thine heart. And if we do that. There's no time. And there's no place. 
for leaning onto our own understanding. So Judge Jeremiah facing this difficult task, he has the promise of God here that he will fight for him. And in all these difficulties that Jude was telling us about in this little epistle, we can depend on God. And he will deliver us out of the hand of the wicked and redeem us out of the hand of the terrible. There will be those who will fight against us in these situations. But thank God, if we put our trust in him, we will prevail. There's an interesting comment in another little article I noticed in The Christian Friend in 1882 about Nehemiah and Jude. And I'll read a little bit about what it says here. This, there, there is one striking correspondency between the book of Nehemiah and the epistle of Jude. In the former, that's in Nehemiah, we read that everyone with one of his hands wrought in the work. Each person with one of his hands worked and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, everyone had his sword girded by his side and so builded. When they were building, they were being attacked by the enemy. And so they worked one hand with a trowel and the other for his sword. In the epistle of Jude, at the commencement of his epistle, Jude exhorts us earnestly to contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints. And at the end of the epistle, he says, to build up ourselves on a most holy faith. He would have us, in a word, like Nehemiah's builders, with the sword in one hand and with the trowel in the other. The reason is found in the character of the times. Certain men had crept in unawares and apostates abounded. It was no time for peace. Therefore, when the foundations were being assailed, in the face of such dangers, God would have his people valiant for the truth. You know, we can learn so much from Nehemiah and the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. The walls of Jerusalem were meant to be walls of salvation and gates to be gates of praise. But both were destroyed. The walls broken down and the gates burned with fire. 
walls for protection for those within and to stop enemies creeping in. Similarly, gates can be guarded to ensure that no one, no enemies can get in without it being seen. There's a nice verse in Isaiah 60, verse 18, promising something in the future for Jerusalem. Violence shall no more be heard in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders. For thou shalt call thy walls salvation and thy gates praise. Psalm 24 is a lovely psalm. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and they that dwell therein for he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place he that hath clean hands and a pure heart who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. Selah. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And if we want to be on the side of the Lord, what does he say? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully. Who shall abide in the hill of the Lord? We have to have clean hands. And in order to work for him in dealing with the situations that are being found in churches today, we must to ensure that we have clean hands and a pure heart and hath not lifted up our souls unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully. And he who does that shall receive the blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of our salvation. You know, when Nehemiah was in Jerusalem, he'd been taken away with the rest of the captives by Babylon, and he was taken away captive. And he constantly inquired of people who 
came backwards and forwards from Jerusalem. How were things in Jerusalem? And then one day he heard the walls of Jerusalem have been broken down and the gates thereof burned with fire. Those walls which were to be a sign of salvation to people around and the gates a sign of praise to the God of the Israelites were burned and broken. And I wonder what he said. Oh, that's terrible. Something should be done about it. And then he forgot all about it. After all, he was a few hundred miles away. Personally, he was doing quite well in this new land of captivity. He had risen to be the cup-bearer to the emperor. So there was nothing he could do to remedy the situation. We see this kind of attitude so often in our churches. There are problems arising, there are false teachers, and most people just ignore the whole situation. But you know, it affected Nehemiah personally, in his innermost being. So much so that it showed on his face. One day, the emperor noticed that. And that was dangerous. Because being sad in front of the emperor was not a good thing. Does the situation we see all around us in churches today affect us? as this news affected Nehemiah. After a while we read how he got permission from the emperor to take a company of people back to Jerusalem and commence the major task of rebuilding Jerusalem. Incredible. One man under the control of God and following his Lord, in a captive land, God arranged that he could be given the wherewithal to go back to Jerusalem to work on behalf of his God. And you know, if you read Nehemiah, there was severe opposition from the enemy all around. From those who wanted to be part of the work, but who were like those in Jude who wanted to creep in unawares. And so much so that the workers who had come back with Nehemiah had to work with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. The sword is rather for defence than for attack, but conflict we must not shrink away from conflict when the faith once delivered to the saints is in question. The foundations upon which 
our faith stands. I've been questioned today. Are we standing with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other? It is interesting that the workers and those in their immediate charge, and when you read Nehemiah, you discover that each one built a part of the wall which was nearest to where they lived. Read all about it in chapter 3. And, you know, building the bit of a wall near where you lived was the most difficult part, perhaps. And for you and for me, the most difficult place for us to work is the place nearest home. Perhaps we are surprised that we get opposition, strong opposition from that situation. So this must speak to us of our responsibilities and our testimony to those around us and those in the local assembly. Our responsibility, each one of us, is to be prepared to uphold the truths of Scripture in the midst of a sad, cruel, false, lost generation. This week, I read an article by a man called Klaus Schwab. He's the founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum. Now you may not be aware of this organization, but this forum, and they recently held the World Economic Annual Meeting in Switzerland in January. It has extraordinary influence in the global politics of our world. It is really awesome just how influential this forum is. Those attending, there were about uh, 3,000 people attending as representatives of nearly a hundred countries. They held 400 sessions uh, and they produced a plan for the future of our world. And I want to make just a few comments and read what this man said. Now we are always conscious that scripture tells us that there will one day be a one world government and a one world religion. And people ignore this, they don't believe it, and yet the Bible clearly sets it as a prophecy that will take place. And here's what he said in his speech. The world 
today seems to be engulfed in a sea of pessimism, negativity and cynicism. Really, could it be the natural outcome of disingenuous and destructive globalization in the first place? He's asking that question. Globalization has made the world smaller but more complex and many people have lost confidence in institutions. Many people now fear for their future and they are searching for shared but distinct beliefs that can furnish a sense of purpose and continuity. Now he's talking on a secular level here, but you would really believe that he was talking about a religious problem, a Christian or a, a, a global uh, faith problem. And then he goes on. If they acknowledge that ours is a global community, with a shared destiny, they will have made a first, albeit modest step in the right direction. He's saying that if they believe that the whole world has a shared destiny, these people who are negative, uh, pessimists and all the rest of it will have moved towards their global plan for our world. And we know that all this is leading to a one world church and a one world government which will lead up to the coming Antichrist. Many today are just like what Schwab also notes. He says, the world today seems to be engulfed in a sea of pessimism, negativity and cynicism. Many of these in our church today have lost their faith in the authority of scripture and they just do not read the word of God. Talk to people who go to church and they go to the local communion services and they, they don't read their Bibles at home. People are searching for peace in their lives, but they're not getting it from their pastors and teachers in many places. The first line of our verse which we were going to study today is, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Exceeding joy. The founder of this economic forum says people are negative. Fear for the future. And are searching for shared but distinct beliefs that can furnish a sense of purpose and continuity. Sadly we do not see these words reflected around us today. 
Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Little chorus we used to sing. And this is part of the problem. People need to see Jesus in those who are Christians. What the world needs is Jesus, just a glimpse of him. What the world needs is Jesus, just a glimpse of him. He will bring joy and gladness, take away sin and sadness. What the world needs is Jesus, just a glimpse of him. And for those of us who are in Christ, we are the ones who can share the love of Jesus with others. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. These people want to present the world economic forums plan of globalization and they think that will furnish a sense of purpose and continuity with people. How wrong they are. How wrong they are. Reminder of an old hymn. O Christ in thee my soul hath found. And found in thee alone. The peace. The joy I sought so long. The bliss. Till now unknown. I sighed for rest and happiness. I yearned for them, not thee. But while I passed my Saviour by, His love laid hold on me. I tried the broken cisterns, Lord, But, ah, the waters failed. E'en as I stooped to drink, they fled, And mocked me as I wailed. The pleasures lost I sadly mourned, but never wept for thee, Till grace the sightless eyes received Thy loveliness to see. Now none but Christ can satisfy, None other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. Amen.